Would you guys open up your Bibles to the book of First Peter chapter two, verse four. This is your first Sunday here at Sagemont. Welcome, this is our contemporary service. We have a more of a blended service at the 9.30. Glad you're here. If you missed last week, I wanna strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it. We are in a three, maybe four week series calling Drawing Near to God. Last week is the foundation for all of it. So I encourage you to go listen to it on the website, app, podcast, whatever. But in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Peter answers the first question that we're looking at in our series, which is how do we approach God during our time in his word? That is, that's the context that we're talking about. It's the word of God. And so, and so Peter was answering the question, you know, when we sit down in God's word, when we spend time in God's word, how are we supposed to approach the Lord during that time? And so let's read that together. First Peter chapter two, verse four, Peter says, as you come to him. And though, that simple phrase, that simple five words, Peter's teaching us how we approach God or how we draw near to God. That's the Greek word, as you come to him, prosercemi, it means draw near to God. How do we do that, okay? Last week, we talked about that we draw near to God with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. We draw near to God with reverence because he's a consuming fire. And lastly, we draw near to God with faith because he's good and he rewards those who seek him. And kind of the main point of last week was this, is that the primary thing that, that's going on when we're studying God's word and we're becoming, uh, when we're getting into God's word, listen, the primary thing that we're doing is not simply studying God's word, but that the goal of what we're doing is that we're drawing near to the Lord through his word. And there's a radical difference between those two things. And so today Peter's answering a second question and it's this, is what is God doing in us when we draw near to him through his word, okay? In other words, what's happening when you pro-search him, I talked about last week, as you, as you draw near to the Lord with confidence and, and with faith and, and, and those things, what is God doing in your heart? What is he doing in you? What's he shaping in you? What is, what is he transforming you to be as you draw near to the Lord through his word? Let's read it together. He tells us what God's doing in you in verse five. Verse five, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Pretty easy, huh? You got it, we can go home now. That's what Peter says God is doing when we draw near to him through his word. What in the world does that mean? Well, he's gonna tell us three things. He says, we draw near to the Lord in our time in his word, he's doing three things. Number one, as we come to him, he makes us like Jesus. As we come to him, he makes us like Jesus. Second thing we're gonna see today, as we come to him, as we draw near to God, he makes us a spiritual temple, which I'll explain what that means. And the last thing we're gonna see is as we come to him, he makes us ministers, which I'm not gonna talk about this week, talk about next week and the following week. And so we're just gonna look at those two today and we'll be done. So let's look at the first thing Peter's showing us, what God's doing in us, we draw near to him through his word. Number one, as we come to him, he makes us like Jesus. 
okay? Now to understand what I'm getting at, let's look at verse four again. Peter says, as you come to him, as you draw near to him, and then watch what he says. He says, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Okay, so everybody check this out. Peter says, as you draw near, as you pro-search am I, as you draw near to him, the next thing he does is say who this him is that you're drawing near to. And he says, a living stone that's rejected by men, but precious in the sight of God. Who's, who is a living stone that was rejected by men, but precious in the sight of God the Father? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was the one rejected by men, but precious in the sight of God. Now, if you notice, Peter calls Jesus a living stone. What in the world does that mean? Well, his point is that Jesus is the living cornerstone, or he's the living foundation of the church. We're gonna talk about that next week, but his main point is this, I want you to get, is he calls Jesus a living stone. Okay, now let's read it again. First Peter 2, 4, he says, as you come to him, as you draw near to Jesus, who's a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now look at verse five. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Now again, who did Peter just say is the living stone? It's Jesus. And then he says that you and I are being built up, hear this, like living stones. And so what Peter just said is that as you draw near to God through his word, as you sit down in his word and, and, and you draw near to him that what God is doing in you in that time is he is transforming you to look like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I said something last week and I wanna make sure that you caught it. I said that if all you do is simply study God's word, that if all you do is study God's word, and that's where it begins and ends, that that'll produce in you spiritual arrogance. But if in your time in the word, you draw near to the Lord through his word, then that changes everything and it makes you look like Jesus. Well, that's exactly what Peter just said in the text. He said, Jesus is the living stone. And as you draw near to him, as you pro-search him, I, he's gonna build you up just like the living stone, okay? So there's two things that says to me that, um, that number one, looking more like Jesus is the goal of our drawing near to God. That's the goal. That's what we're shooting for as we sit down in the word and draw near to him. That that's the goal. We want to look like Jesus. But it's also the result. I think that's what Peter's saying, is that if you do this as a believer, if you'll draw near to God, the inevitable result is you'll look more like Jesus. But let's look at the first one there, that, that the aim and the goal of our time in the word Draw near to him, look more like Christ. Don't turn there, but listen, 1 John 2, 5. John says, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. And then in verse six, he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so what he's saying there is they look, if you say that Jesus abides in you, which if you're a believer today, you're covered with the blood, he comes to live inside of you. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. But if you say you abide in him and he abides in you, then he's saying that you ought to be walking and living your life the way that Jesus did. 
And so that's one of the goals of us drawing near to God is that we look like Christ. It's Ephesians 4, 22. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, watch what it says, created after the likeness of God and true righteous and holiness. And this is, this is a, everybody tune in here. This is a simple truth. A simple truth that we forget as believers is that the primary goal of our time in God's word is not to learn theology. Okay, learning theology is important. But the primary goal of our time in God's word is not to grow in theology. The primary goal of our time in God's word is not to just grow in our biblical knowledge. But the primary aim and the primary goal of our time in the word is to draw near to God. It's to draw near to the presence of God through his word. And then as we do that, as we draw near to him through his word, one of the things that's happening is he's transforming you to look more and more like his son, Jesus. And um, last week, I, I gave you an example of two women and, and both of whom had spent their entire life in the church. They'd spent their entire life in God's word, but one was really godly and one was really not godly. And I talked about how it's entirely possible for you to spend your entire life simply studying God's word, not drawing near to God through his word, but you can spend your entire life simply studying God's word and at the end of that time, look absolutely nothing like Jesus Christ. That's scary to me. But you know, I was thinking about it this week. And besides my personal experience of knowing those two women, one of whom drew near to the Lord through his word, one simply studied the Bible, besides my personal experience, you know how I know it's entirely possible for you to spend your entire life studying God's word and, and looking nothing like Jesus. You know how I know? There's a group of people called the Pharisees, okay? I'll tell you about the Pharisees if you don't know who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees were the religious guys back in Jesus' day. And you wanna talk about studying God's word. These guys had it memorized. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. That's pretty intense, try it sometime. They had it memorized. Pharisees were experts in the law of God. I mean, that's who they were. Yet I want you to watch what Jesus says about these people that had the Bible memorized. Okay. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, and this is him speaking, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. <laughs> Calls them hypocrites. He says, you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin. In other words, that's what the Bible says there um, in the Old Testament, the law, you tithe, mint, and cumin. But he says, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Matthew 23, 25, Jesus keeps going. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup. He's talking about them. He goes, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. In, in Matthew 23, 27, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Wow, that's a strong statement. You know what a tomb is? When I was in England a few years ago, um, releasing my book about Charles Spurgeon, we went to this thing called the catacombs. 
And it's, it won't take long on this, but you go down into the ground where all these people from the 1850s and 60s and 70s were built and a lot of their, their caskets are just inside these walls and just completely disintegrating. And some of the caskets you see, you, you could see inside of them and there's just a couple of bones and there's just some dust in there. And that's it. These people you know, died about 150 years ago or however long that was. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees and he says, that's what you are. That on the outside, you look great. On the outside, you're whitewashed, you're painted, you look good. But the inside, you're full of dead bones. These are people that had studied and memorized the word of God their entire lives. And yet they were corrupt. They were greedy. They were unclean. And they look nothing like Jesus, okay? And so the main goal, the aim, the thing we're doing when we sit down and we get into his word is not just learn stuff and not just find all these new cool things about the Bible and the stories so we can talk about them, but we're to draw near to God. And that we draw near to his presence, he changes us and transforms us to look like his son, okay? So that's the goal. Looking like Jesus is the goal of our drawing near to him. But the other implication of this is you and I looking more like Jesus is gonna be the inevitable result is if you draw near to God through his word. In other words, if you actually do that, if you draw near to the Lord, if you pro-search am I, you're going to look more like his son. Now listen, there's an implication of that, that we look like Jesus. That's literally what it means. We're transformed into the likeness of his son. And something hit me this week about that that I've never thought about and it kind of blew me away. And I'll talk about it in just a second, but I wanna set the scene here. For us as believers, when I say that you're being transformed in the image of his son, it's gonna look more like Jesus, that's not earth shattering news to you. If you've spent time in church, you've heard that a few times. And so when I said, hey, you're gonna look more like Jesus if you draw near to God, y'all didn't fall on the floor and scream amen, right? You get it, you've heard it. But for the original audience that this was for, that would have blown their minds. It would have blown their minds, okay? Keep in mind who Peter is writing to. He's writing to these normal, everyday, common people. They were fishermen, they were carpenters, they were tradesmen, they were women and children who in that culture had zero status whatsoever. And if you remember, they were scattered all over the place because of persecution. They were uh, beginning to experience some intense persecution just because they were believers. The Roman Empire was trying to take them out. So think about this, hear this. They had no influence whatsoever. They had no cultural or political power, none. They were nobodies, they were outcasts. And so in their minds, I guarantee you, they thought they had absolutely no value whatsoever. And in verse four, Peter says, Jesus is the living stone. And then in verse five, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Now quickly, look at the first phrase there. Peter says, you yourselves. Now in the Greek, when you look at that, a better way to translate that is even you yourself. Even you yourself is being built up like living stones. Listen to me. And so Peter writes these outcasts. Peter writes these nobodies that that have no power and they think they have no value. And he looks at them and he says, I want you to know something that even 
you, that even you are being built up to look like the son of God. And I guarantee you, these nobodies that thought they had no value whatsoever, they heard that. Even me, even me, I'm being built up to look like the son of God, Jesus Christ. That's unbelievable. That would have blown their minds. And what the scripture's saying to them in, in, in church, what it's saying to us is, while the world may think you're worthless, and you might even think you're worthless, what God is saying is that you are being built up into something of infinite worth and infinite value is that as you draw near to God, he's transforming you into the image of his son, which means that when he looks at you, he sees his son. Let me ask you guys a question here. That have you ever had a time in your life where you felt worthless? I, I have. You know, if you have enough people in your life that tell you you're worthless, that it starts sinking in. And sometimes you start to believe them. I know not everybody struggles with that. But a lot of you do. Maybe you'd never admit it. But if you have enough people that sort of speak that stuff into your life, it starts sinking in and you start believing it deep down inside about yourself. And then what happens is if you have enough people speaking that into your life, it starts impacting how you view yourself and then it bleeds out of that. And, you, and that starts impacting how you think God views you too. And so you look at your sin, you look at your failures, and you start thinking deep down inside, maybe God's not all that pleased with me like people tell me he is. You hear words like, God delights in you, or God is crazy about you, or he's head over heels in love with you, but you think to yourself, I, I'm, when it comes to me, I'm just not so sure, Okay. But I want you to listen to what the word of God says about how he thinks about you. I want you to listen to the word of God about how he, how he feels about you. And it's Ephesians 1, 4 is where I'm gonna start. Listen carefully. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He says, in love, he predestined us for what? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of, of his will. What Paul just said is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, did you know that he adopts you into the family of God? That's incredible. But he doesn't stop there. So that's the first thing. If I'm a believer here today, I have been adopted into the family of God. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm a child, but he keeps going. Romans eight sixteen. He says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so we've been adopted. We're now children of God. But then watch what he says. And if children, verse 17, he says, if, in, if children, then heirs. He says, if, if we're a child of God, then that, that means something crazy that you and I are an heir to his inheritance. We're just not somebody that got adopted in, but we're kind of a second-class child, but we're an heir to the inheritance of the kingdom of God. How, how big of a deal is that? He, he goes on, he says, and if we're children, then heirs, watch this, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
He's saying that the, that the way that God the Father has given the kingdom to his son, you're a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. That's unbelievable. I don't even think we can get our minds around that. And if that were not even cool enough, he keeps going. In Romans 8, 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What are we predestined? He says we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now let that sink into you for just a second. Not only are you adopted into the family of God, and so you're his child, but you become an heir to the inheritance of the kingdom of God, a co-heir with Christ. But on top of that, you're being conformed and transformed into the image of his son. Now listen to me really carefully. This is what hit me this week. I've never thought about this. There's an implication of that, that you and I are being transformed to look like Jesus. I've never thought about it. And here's what it is. That if you're being transformed into the image of your son, of his son, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. That when God is looking down at you, he doesn't see your failures. When, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the ways that you've messed up in your past and your future failures. What this is saying is that we're being transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. What this is saying is that when God looks at you, he doesn't see all that stuff. He sees his son in whom he is well pleased. Let that sink into you. You're transformed to look like Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you a little secret. He's really in love with his son. And that's what he sees. I'll talk about that for a second. Flesh this out. It's hard to believe. When God looks at me, he, he sees Jesus. If I'm a believer. What does that mean? I was thinking about my, my son, my firstborn son that was born. I've got two sons. One's a sophomore at A&M that spends a lot of my money. And um, other his daughter who has always spent a lot of my money. And then um, another who's a freshman in high school who is learning quickly how to spend a lot of my money. And, um, but I, I want to talk about the first time that I saw the face of my firstborn child, John Daniel, J.D. It was on uh, July 13th in 2000. And that little guy came screaming into the world. And um, when I saw him for the first time, I experienced a depth of love that I didn't even know I was capable of. Parents, can I get an amen? Yeah. Those of you who never had children, if you do, Lord bless you with them, you'll get it one day. You've never met this little human being. They come into the world and you experience a love for them in that moment that you did not know you even had inside of you. And I held him and I was completely overwhelmed. With, overwhelmed with love for this, for this guy. I was like, I would die for him right then. And I just met him. My mom and my dad walked in. My dad walked over to me as I was holding JD. And he's, you know, my, my dad is looking at his very first grandson for the very first time. And as I held JD, I sort of held him close to my dad. And I said this, it just came out of me. I said, Dad, I love him so much it hurts. I was just bursting with love. 
I said, Dad, I love him so much it hurts. And my dad said something to me in that moment that I will never forget as long as I live. It's the coolest thing my father has ever said to me and probably ever will say to me. I said, Dad, I love him so much it hurts. And just like this, my dad said, now you know how I feel about you. So the way you feel about him, that's how I've always felt about you. And in that moment, all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I understood how much my dad loved me. I got how much I loved my son, but I'd never thought about that he loved me that way. And years later, I was in one of those places in my life where I was doubting God's love for me, and I remembered that moment. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. That if I, as a flawed, imperfect, earthly father, can love my son that much, and that if my dad, who's a flawed, imperfect, earthly father, can love me that much, then how much more does our perfect heavenly father love you and me? I don't think we can get our minds around that. Don't ever forget this. When your heavenly father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He's cast it as far as east is from the west. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your inadequacies. When your heavenly father looks at you, he sees the image of his son, which means he loves you so much it hurts him. And that doesn't ever change, ever. Don't ever forget that. So the next time you fail, the next time you sin, next time you fall short of the glory of God, and Satan starts whispering in your ear, because that's what he does. Satan's called the tempter. And so he'll come to you and he'll tempt you to try to do something. And then if you fall into it and if you sin, he takes off the hat of the tempter and he turns the hat around, which is the hat of the accuser. That's his name, the accuser. And Satan loves to do After he tempts you and gets you to do it, then he begins to accuse you and say, I thought you were a child of God. You sinned again? I, I, I thought you loved God, but you failed again? How big of a failure can you be? How, how worthless are you that you can't even get it right? You think God's pleased with you? There's no way he's pleased with you. You keep failing and sinning. When Satan puts on the hat of the accuser and he starts whispering that stuff in your ear, then I want you to whisper right back to him, that's right, Satan, I am a failure, but my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was not. And I'm covered with his blood. And so when God sees me, he doesn't see a failure, but he sees his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And that will never change. First Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, as you draw near, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, even you, being built up like a living stone. And then he goes on and says, as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so the first thing that we learn that God is doing when we draw near to him through his word, number one, is that as we come to him, he makes us like Jesus, which changes everything. 
Here's the second thing we're doing. Last thing we're gonna kind of look at today, two points. As we come to him, he makes us a spiritual temple. He makes us a spiritual temple. What in the world does that mean? Look at 1 Peter 2, 5. Peter says, you yourselves, even you, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Okay, Peter, I get that I'm being built like Jesus, but what do you mean that I'm being built up as a spiritual house? Okay, well, he gives us a clue in the next couple words what he's talking about. In 1 Peter 2, 5, he says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Then watch what he says. He says, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he talks about a house. He talks about priests. He talks about sacrifices. So where in the scripture does the scripture talk about um, priests and sacrifices and houses and buildings? He's talking about the temple. He's talking about the temple. So the temple in Old Testament, that was the place, talked about last week, where the presence of God hung out. That's where the presence of God was. It was in the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the priest would put a rope around his waist and leave the other end out in case he encountered the presence of God and he dropped dead and he would slowly open through the veil and he would offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice for the sin of the people. Once a year on Yom Kippur, as he drew near to the presence of God. So look one more time at verse five. He says, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Sage, might everybody look at me. What Peter literally just said is that you and I are the new temple of God. Now, here's the thing. The only reason that only one person's clapping is because we don't realize how unbelievably cool that is. We, you and I, are the new temple. Let me read this to you. It's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 16. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Watch, he says, for we are the temple of the living God. Now here's why that's unbelievable. Y'all remember the presence of God? They were so freaked out by the presence of God. He was so holy, he's so mighty. Rubber on the waist, coming in real slow. Hope we don't die. Once a year, encounter the presence of God. What this is saying to us, the reason that it's so amazing that if the temple in the Old Testament was the dwelling place of God, it's where the presence of God hung out, it's where the presence of God lived, what this is saying, that through Jesus, you and I are the new temple, and what that means is the presence of God no longer lives in the temple, but the presence of God now lives in you. And that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. The presence of God that people were so afraid to draw near to that you had to have blood just to get anywhere near to. If you're a believer, he lives in you. Ephesians 2.20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And this in verse 22, he says, in him you are also, you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Are you kidding me? I'm the dwelling place of God. You are the dwelling place of the presence of God. That is amazing. 
But you know what is maybe more amazing than the fact that the presence of God no longer lives in the temple, that people just had to be scared to death to approach him. But Paul says, you're the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place, that phrase right there in the Greek, it means a permanent home. That's right. Thank you. What Paul just said is you and I are the permanent home of the presence of God. For the Jewish people reading that, that that would have stopped them in their tracks. Because back in the day, because God is holy, if the Israelites wouldn't stop sinning, if the Israelites wouldn't stop turning to other gods and wouldn't turn away from their idols, then, then the presence of God would get fed up with it and they just, the presence of God would just roll. It would just leave the temple. A couple of times this happened. You see it in Solomon's temple. The presence of God just takes off. It's like, I'm done. You see it in Ezekiel 10. People are sinning, they won't stop sinning and and, and Ezekiel sees the presence of God and he comes out of the Holy of Holies and at first he's excited, he's like, you're kidding me. The presence of God, he's coming out of the Holy of Holies but he wants to dwell with us and God just keeps going and goes off in the mountains. God's like, I'm done. Can't handle it anymore. But what Paul just said is that because of Jesus, Because of Jesus' blood, we aren't a dwelling place where God comes and goes based on our sin. But because of the blood of Jesus, our sin is forgiven. Because of the blood of Jesus, he's cast as far as the east is from the west and he sees it no more. And so because of the blood of Jesus, we are the permanent dwelling place of almighty God. That means when he moved into you, When he moved into you, his new home, that means that you're not an apartment or whatever that he leased, that he'll roll out of if he doesn't like it. It means you're not a vacation home that he's gonna show up two or three times a year when he has some spare time. But what we see is that through the blood of Jesus, he bought you and he paid off the note in full. And then he moved in and he set up his furniture and he put up curtains And he hung the pictures on the wall and then he sat down on the couch and he kicked off his shoes and said, this is my permanent home and I will never leave. And that is incredible news. As a believer and as a Christian, that's incredible news because what it means for you today is that there's never been a single moment in your life where you've been alone. As a believer, there's never been a single time, a single moment of your life where God has not been with you because he's always been in you. And Charles Spurgeon said this, quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says that if the presence of God is the fullness of joy, then his absence is the depth of misery. But what the Bible just said as children of God, that is something you will never experience your entire life the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, the veil of the temple has been torn in two. And so you can prosearch him I, you and I can draw near to the presence of God. And when we do, you and I who were once strangers have now become family. You and I who were once orphans have now become children. You and I who were once sinners have now been transformed into the image of his son. And you and I who were once homeless have now been made the permanent home of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what that tells me 
is that you and I are a lot of things, but worthless is not one of them. Real quick, last page here. I wanna go back to end today with the question of how does this impact our time in the word? How does it impact our time in the word? Last week, talked about we're not just studying the word, but we're drawing near to God through his word. And we talked about how because we're covered in the blood of Christ, we draw near with confidence, but God's still a consuming fire that can't be reached out and touched. And so we draw near to him with reverence and awe. And but is God, God is good. He's a consuming fire, but he's good. And so we draw near to him with faith, believing that he rewards those who seek him. Today we learned that we're being transformed to look like his son. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus and that we are the dwelling place, the permanent home of the presence of God. So this is what this means for our, our time in the word of God, that we can draw near to God, not only with confidence, not just with reverence and awe, not just with faith, but what that means is that when you draw near, you can draw near to God with assurance because what we just learned is God is always near to you. I want you to think about that. How many times have I sat down in the word of God and I think that God is so far away or that my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling or that he is disinterested? What this teaches us is that we can draw near to God with assurance because he's always there. You don't have to search for him. You don't have to try to find him. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to hope that he hears you. You can draw near to him with absolute assurance for this reason, because God has already drawn near to you. You don't have to try to find him when you draw near because he has already drawn near to you. I'll end with this. I, I heard a, a quote Many years ago, I heard it many times. I never really understood what it meant until recently. It's a quote by A.W. Tozer. He said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I never really understood what that meant. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Again, didn't understand it for a long time, but here's what it means. When you think about God, however you think about him, or what you think about when you think about him is gonna change everything about the way you worship him and everything about the way you draw near to him. In other words, if you, I talked about it last week, it's dumb. So it sounds so dumb now, 15 years later. But if you think about Jesus as your homeboy, that when you think about God, you think about him as your homeboy, you're gonna draw near to him like he's your homeboy. If maybe you grew up in a church that, Spend all their time talking about the wrath of God and hellfire and brimstone and you sort of think about God as angry and vindictive, that you're gonna draw near to God and you're gonna think that he's angry and vindictive. That if you grew up in a home where your dad was emotionally absent and emotionally distant and, and so that's how you think about God, that when you draw near to God, you think you're drawing near to an emotionally absent, emotionally distant God. So how, does it, how should it change your worship? Today, tomorrow, how should it change your worship? How should it change your time in the word knowing that you are drawing near to God that because he loves you 
and because you're being transformed in the image of his son and because you're completely clean and because you're completely forgiven, you're drawing near to a God that has already drawn near to you. And he's standing there with his arms wide open just waiting for you to do it. And so when you think about God, think about that. And I think it'll change everything.